So we're going to pick up on our Father's Day theme, and uh, we go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 15 says, The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts, they hadn't yet said it out loud, if John might possibly be the anointed one, the Messiah, the King. So all those words, Messiah, King, anointed one, the Christ, they all mean the same thing. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is so much more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not, un- I'm not worthy to untie, and he will immerse you, baptize you, initiate you into the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, gather the wheat in his barn, but he will burn up the rubbish with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the gospel, the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evils he had done, Herod added this evil to them all. He locked John in prison. But before that, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. We know, we know John struggled with that from Matthew's gospel. Luke doesn't record that, but he's like, I shouldn't be doing this. It's wrong. And so Jesus identifies with us. Baptism is about belonging and identification. And he identifies with us. And so as the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, so in that moment he's praying in his baptism, heaven opens. Mark says it's like heaven is ripped open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily in the form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are Whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And it began on that day. So, very simply on this Father's Day, we're going to look at two things. The first is a father's love establishes identity. Secondly, a father's love launches ministry. So let's look at that, number one. The Father's love establishes identity. It's such a powerful, such an important scene in in literally all of Scripture where God speaks. Just listen to this. Jesus baptized, and as he's praying, heaven opens. The Holy Spirit comes down on him, on him, bodily, in the form of a dove. People might have just seen a dove. But the discernment is this is more than just a bird flying from the sky. The Holy Spirit comes. And then if you had any doubts as if this was just a random dove that had lost its landing place, a voice comes from heaven that everyone can hear. You are my son. I love you. I am so pleased with you. Notice this, that he speaks to the identity. The father speaks to the identity of the son. You are 
This is who you are. And then he speaks to the relationship between them. You are my son. And then he describes the nature of the relationship between them. It's love and pleasure. I love you. I'm pleased with you. That's the defining nature. And the father wants the son to receive into his heart, into his mind. And so he says, with you, again, notice the you, I am the same rhythm. So it's a, it's a Hebraic, you know, God loves poetry and, you know, spoken word. I am well pleased. You know, the answer to the question, who am I, establishes our identity in such a powerful way that it literally directs our steps. When you understand who you are, you know what to do. We are no different from Jesus. We are deeply rooted in our relationships. And it's, as it were, and we used this metaphor earlier in the year, you know, we long to produce godly fruit, and we talk about at the roots as the belief system, but we need to understand the relationships we have are the soils, the soil in which those beliefs are planted and ultimately that they produce that fruit. So it's not just my behavior, good fruit, my beliefs, but it's my belonging. You know, Jesus fixed a tree by telling a man in, in one of his parables, dig around it, nurture the soil. It's where you root it that has a massive impact on the fruit that you ultimately bear. And so we deeply rooted in connectedness, relationships, and they have a massive impact on our lives, whether for good or bad, for harm or health. Dallas Willard, in a book, recently published called Life Without Lack. Um, Dallas is a tough read, but he's good. Uh, he says, love is such a powerful force. People who've grown up in an environment of love, he says, even if it is only human love without an awareness of God, will always have a tremendous resource that can never be taken from them. Like if you can grow up in an environment of love, you have a resource no one can take from you. And so if you've been rightly loved by your family, you have this treasure. He goes on to say, unfortunately, many people who have not been rightly loved in their families then enter marriage thinking, now at last, now at last, this is going to be different. I'm really going to be loved. But we, we soon find out, says Dallas Willard, that both us and our spouse struggle. We are hampered in really loving each other. He says this thing. All these things direct us to the truth that perfect love is found only in God. Like you just can't replace him. Even if you've got this resource of healthy family love, ultimately you're going to find even the best will come short. I had to learn this as a dad myself. I remember struggling when our kids were really small, like toddlers. 
And I loved them desperately, but they wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. And I found, I know no one else identifies with this, but I found myself getting really upset. <laughs> I mean, they're so little and they still don't, you know, it's like my pets. You know, they're so small and they don't listen. They talk back. Um, and, and then I found myself getting upset and angry. And, and then I felt guilty about my anger because I'm so powerful and they're so vulnerable. And then like, ah! and I'm going, what's wrong with you, Craig? They are just kids. Anyone identify? And so the spiral of anger and guilt would go. And you're trying to control it, but you know, like, it's like a trip switch. Someone just has to misbehave in a given setting, and boom, there goes dad, you know. So I began to journal and try and figure this thing out. I mean, Cindy knew I had a problem. I just, you know, I was trying to understand why this thing is so powerful. And I soon realized that I was placing an impossible burden on my little kids. They're not little anymore, but they were little then. You see, I was making them responsible for how I felt about myself. So if they were behaving well, I felt good about me. I was, unlike God the Father and God the Son, I was deriving my identity from how my kids behaved. That's just never going to work. I mean, you'll just get more upset and they'll be more anxious because now they carry this impossible burden of taking care of the emotional state of an adult. They're going to act up even more because they don't have the wheels. But because my identity is being driven by how they behave, I'm putting it on them. Many years later did I le read this book, only the last two weeks actually, still busy, it's a Dallas Willard's book. He says, parents often have hard times with their children because they do not always do what we believe they should do. And we are wounded by this and tend to feel that they are walking evidence of where we are going wrong. That they're showing the whole world that we are not good people. See that? We're getting our sense of self from how our children behave rather than our children getting their sense of self from how we behave. Like this is an epidemic at the moment. I'm just like one of the players. Dads, we can't do this to our kids. We can't derive our identity from how they behave. They are meant to derive their sense of self from how we behave. That's what it means to be a dad. Give your children a sense of anchor, a strength, an identity and love that is unshakable no matter what they're doing. They know that you have found a root that they can't uproot. You have found a foundation they can't dig up. You have access to something that you will teach them how to find for themselves. But you're not going to surrender it. 
one of the greatest gifts we can give our children is sense of their identity and their love and their security. Children should not bear the burden of making us feel loved. God's willing to do that for you so that your children can know the privilege of being loved. Notice the father didn't say to the son, hey, son, do you love me? He takes the initiative and establishes his son's identity by communicating his love to him. So this starts by being able to receive God's love for us. You know, God takes great delight in us every single day of our lives. And we have to learn, like Jesus, to hear God's love. In the prayer meeting, we spoke about how the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God's saying, you're mine. I love you. The Spirit of God, like the dove descending, is coming to us and affirming and communicating to us. 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God. And that is who we are. If that is who we are, that's what the text says. God is calling us his own. The Spirit testifies with us. You're mine. I love you. It's a wonderful thing by the Spirit to receive our Abba's love deeply into the center of ourselves. And it's a difficult thing to have a whole bunch of stuff coming against that in us. Because there is a flip side where pain and trauma and injustice make legacies very complex. And sometimes these things have seemingly so beyond our power to influence and control. Last week, while we were in KZN, um, and for those who don't know, we were pastors there, church planters. And then there was something called the Etemba Projects that emerged out of that time there. And so we were talking to some very good friends of ours who've been involved in that project for almost two decades now, reaching out into an area called Sweetwaters and Pumuza, which back in early 2000s was one of the areas in the world with the highest HIV AIDS mortality rate. And so there was just fatherlessness and orphans. You would you'd come over the rise, and instead of seeing homes on a Saturday, you'd see the white gazebos for the next dozens of funerals all around the community. So there was this fatherlessness in the generation. And one of the biggest challenges they faced even in that time was the absence of fathers and mentors. And Stu describes how it's taken years to build trust with the older men in the community and try and understand some of the stuff that was going on that, that led to such a vulnerable community with such absent men and fathers. And gradually, as trust grew, 
these men began to tell my friend Steve about the trauma of migrant labor, the injustice of what shaped our country's economy for decades. And they would leave their families for a year at a time, get herded like cattle into cages and spend their days in darkness, mining coal or gold or diamonds or whatever it is that would make the country wealthy. They'd spend their days in that space if they were lucky and if the shift worked for them. And then they would take them to hostels for their food and their sleep. And their beds were these large shelves in which grown men, fathers and grandfathers, were made to sleep on racks. Men lying next to men, lying next to men, lying next to men, living in darkness and sleeping on shelves. And doing that for 11 months in the year. Sometimes not seeing a woman for months. And then being expected to go home at the end of 11 months of trauma and be present and available and considerate and friendly. And then going back and doing that for another 11 months. And then going back and doing that again. And going back and doing that again. And going back and doing that. That for decades until their health failed. No dignity, no privacy, no adequate reward. South Africa rebuilding the value of our fathers. Their presence is one of the most important and challenging tasks we have for justice in our land. I know it's heavy to bring this out on Father's Day, but I could make us all the warm fuzzies, but, but the truth of it is our country is in so much pain. And some of it relates directly to the treatment that dads went through. So undo the trauma, facing, naming, confessing, repenting of it, forgiving it, must be part of our story. So that all would find heaven find that they have a father who wants to be present, who will give them value, give them identity, heal their hurts, and restore their sense of self. You see, the father's love, and it's on the little verse that's in on your uh, Ephesians 3, it says, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derived name. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And that sense of from whom the whole family not doesn't just derive its name, but derives its identity. Familiness itself comes from the heavenly Father. And as you read on, you see love itself comes from the Father. And of course, this is through Jesus, by the Spirit. But the second thing we see, back to our main reading, 
is the Father's love not only establishes identity, it launches ministry. Notice the next line. Now, Jesus was about himself, was about 30 years old when he began ministry. He was the son, or so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, etc., etc. Notice the sonship and getting to work. It's the idea that you step in. And, and in those days, overwhelmingly, you did what your dad did. If there was a carpenter, you, were, you became a carpenter. If you're a fisherman, you learned fishing. If you're a craftsman, if you're a tax collector, you just, you know, you learned all the tricks of the trade. You learned how to do this thing. Now, this isn't an accident that out of this affirmation of identity comes the initiation of ministry. The Father's love, and then Jesus steps into ministry. It's a direct connection. As Jesus steps into his assignment, Jesus confirms this in John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 19. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, that would have been true for men in general in that culture, for sons in general. They would have walked alongside their dads and learned how to do life by walking with them. And then, and so your task, your mission, your assignment, your ministry flowed out of your ability to be in relationship with your father. Your task became complicated if you and your dad were not on speaking terms. How did you learn to farm unless your father showed you how? And Jesus has that same almost like cultural overlay. As he describes, although his father's in heaven and he's on the earth, he says, I'm still paying attention to my father. I'm still learning from him exactly how to do my assignment and his work. And he says, the reason I'm here is to do my father's work and to finish his work. That's what I'm here for. And so understanding how important that right relationship was, understand this, right relationships release and accelerate our ministry and our mission, wrong relationships wreck it. And we don't need like rocket science. <laughs> wrong relationships will wreck what you're trying to accomplish. Rob Cook, a clinical psychologist, also a friend actually, has done extensive and careful research into the impact that a father's love has on his children. And he uses this metaphor um, that a mother's love is like a safe harbor. You're on the open seas and you can go into that place of safety and care and provision and things get fixed and things get healed. Um, and you get refreshed. But a father's love energizes you, motivates you, stirs you with vision and imagination, and gets you to believe that actually you've been made for the wide open seas. Your ship isn't meant to spend its life tied to the harbor walls. Dad has, dads have the ability to launch. You know, kids have the ability to do failure to launch. 
dads have the ability to launch. It's to help people. Now, interesting, the research uh, that he says, uh, th that my friend, he, he doesn't want to over-theologize, but he's talking in a psychological sense. And we definitely need both kinds of love in our lives. And the scriptures are very clear that God's love incorporates both. You know, God is a refuge. God is a strong tower. He is a place of safety and nurture and care. You, you can't read the Bible and not see that element to God's love. But at the same time, he's the God of the whole world, the God who calls us to bravely get out there and do his work. Now, the Genesis 1 is very clear that in our maleness and in our femaleness together, we reveal and represent the image of God. Now, I don't want to get into like, you know, God is just bigger, but we're looking at God as Father this morning. There are definitely elements of wonderful, you know, primarily female-defined love that are utterly, completely godly and God-revealing. But we're looking at this kind of love that pushes you out the nest. When you're thinking, I still need to be safe in this nest, he's thinking, it's time to fly. Now, this isn't just an insight into how we parent our children. But giving them a strong motivation and identity so they can launch with courage into God's purpose for their lives, it's something for us as well. God's love launches missions. And when I find myself stepping back from being a witness and being on mission with God and bravely stepping into places, I need to ask myself, do I trust the love of my father? Like, do I trust him? Like, really, really trust him? I know we, we talk about what we believe, but do I trust my heavenly father? Because he has got brave things for you to do and for me to do. And he is moving us into places. You know, Jesus steps out to begin his ministry. And the first thing he encounters under the Father's you know, love and inside the devil's, I mean, inside the Spirit's anointing and empowering is the devil himself. Like, God pushes him out the nest and the next thing there's all, you know, the hairy guy with the red underpants and the forked tail and the, you know, whatever it is. And he's, he's waiting. Don't tell me the father didn't know. Don't tell me the spirit didn't understand where this courage would lead him and who he would have to confront in that moment of stepping into ministry. Stepping into ministry started by confronting the tempter and confronting darkness itself. The devil with his tempting and his twisting and his questioning of your identity. If you are the son of God and his promises and lies, I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world. If you say that God is not going to take you to places of risk and temptation, but that you need to stay in the harbor, you're missing something of the nature of God. God's mission will take you into confrontation. God's mission will take you to places where you need more courage than you think you should have. 
else the wonderful thing? We've been focusing on the Father, and rightly so. But of course, the Holy Spirit is completely woven into the Father's story. You know, Romans 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. I mean, if he doesn't see that he's actually encountering one of the sons of God, the son of God, and he tries to take down the identity of the son. And the spirit is there. You see, as, as, as we, the spirit we have received does not make us a slave again to fear, but we have been brought into adoption as sons and by the Spirit, we begin to say, Abba, Daddy, God, Father. And we can cry out to the God who loves us. You see, for the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's the Spirit who comes and adds the witness. Spirit who speaks to you and says, you're mine. The Father loves you. You can be brave. You can do this. This is not too hard. This is not impossible. And so as we look at kind of leading lives that would call people to new things in God and heal things in our country and in ourselves that desperately need healing. God is inviting us to hear again. Nicole, you're mine. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I want your identity rooted in mine. Here you can do this. You can step out. Gus, you can trust me. Mike, I am the father who will not disappoint you. I'm calling you, anointing you, releasing you, equipping you, because that is who you are.